Hello and welcome to the May 1st, 2019 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a long-lost edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Of course, I am Mr. Joe, in case any of you forgot who I am, because it's been that long. But, as always, it's great to have you here with me today. And, of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you as well. So, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, and um, I I can't even recall, actually the last time that we all spoke. So uh, we're going back quite a few weeks and um, I I feel horrible about it. Um, But as I've told you in the past, there are certain times in my life where either my mental health is literally going to get into the, the way of my productions or life in general is just going to be so busy um, that I cannot do a single thing when it comes to anything but my family and work. And I have to tell you, the sad truth is, in regards to my family, they have certainly not gotten the attention that they need because I have been so overwhelmed with work. And we're talking, you know, 10, 12-hour days with no lunch break, shoving food down my mouth over at a, at a desk. When I do happen to sit behind the desk, I have been providing what's called applied behavior analysis, or better known as ABA, on my own because I had a situation in which one of my sites, um, I was unable to get staff, so I took it upon myself to go ahead and uh, provide services to a little boy who's 10 years old. So uh, I know we've never really gotten into my new job, and um, I've exposed probably more so just now than I ever have in the past. But uh, it's it's safe to say everybody recognizes that I, I am involved with the world of autism, with the world of teaching and instructing and supervising and speaking and training and all of those things. So, um... Obviously, uh, my my position now has become more of an operator and owner, technically, although I don't necessarily own the business. I refer to it simply because of that, because if there's anybody to answer to, it's myself. Now, obviously, I have somebody else that I have to answer to. There's one particular individual, which happens to be the CEO. He is the only one that I report to. Um, But everybody else reports to me, and uh, managing close to, uh, when it's all said and done and all of my plants are up and running, um, you know, we're looking at anywhere between 300 and 500 employees that I have to keep track of. Now, it's nowhere near that right now, but it is a relatively new business. It's one that I've started up, and again, I'm operating, and it has not been easy and you know the main the main thing i guess in every businessman's life and i have to consider it it to be part of my life as well although i only really care about helping kids and families and parents i have to take into consideration that this is a business and the whole concept and idea of a business is to make money 
And that has to be my main priority. Um, obviously in conjunction with doing the helpful things that I love to do. So because I had an opportunity, let's say, and I'm going to give you an example, to bill, uh, I don't know, $100 an hour for one particular client slash student, um, and I didn't have a staff to provide this service, I said, you know what, I'm going to put on my old, I guess, direct service provider skills and, you know, um, go to work, go to work as if, uh, you know, I am one of my employees and I kid you not, the very first day I had my hands in a pair of gloves and I was cleaning poop off of some six-year-old boy, but that's neither here nor there. What it comes down to is I'm still doing that until I get a staff in place, which won't happen for another week or so. Uh, he's going through a background check and then once that's all said and done, I have to train him. Uh, so we got a lot going on. And ultimately, that is why you have not heard from me. Now, with that being said, it's safe to say that my mental health, without a doubt, has suffered to some extent throughout this. I won't say that I've had any major mood swings, but without a shadow of a doubt, I've been up and down. And it's so interesting to me in terms of the level of productivity that us with bipolar disorder are able to engage in, ultimately. Now, I don't want to call it a full-fledged depression, but when I am at the lower end of the spectrum, so to speak, where I am right on the cusp of feeling depressed and I'm dealing with anxiety, I'll tell you this, I believe it was about a week and a half straight where I cried over my job. Cried. Literally hysterical crying to my wife, to myself, driving to work, because the overall stress was just just so overwhelming that, you know, I could not deal with it. But I kept plugging along, plugging along, and sadly, there was a part in my mind that said, you know what, at some point, this depressed mood is going to pass, and I'm going to jump back up into stability or hypomania or whatever it may be, and so be it. Of course, now, while I am hypomanic, and I will say that I am certainly hypomanic, um, ba, 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 probably since Friday of last week. Um, and again, the level of productivity has become Mr. Joe can conquer the world. So while I don't fall behind in any of my tasks or anything that has to do with my employment, doing them becomes a hell of a lot harder when I am in a certain mood, obviously, closer to depression, whereas I am like Superman when I am in that hypomanic mode. And I think because I have reached up into that mania mode to some extent, it allowed me to produce so quickly and so thoroughly that for the first time in a long time, I've actually now had time to produce a podcast. Um, a day has not gone by where I have not thought about it. And I have to tell you, I believe in my heart that a good portion of why I cried was not only related to the stress of my job, but the fact that I could not do what I love doing. And that includes two things, podcasting and going to the gym. It's been weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks since I've podcasted and worked out. And as you know, that is a recipe for disaster when it comes to Mr. Joe, which is really, really sad. Um, I don't know any other way to put it. 
uh, insurmountable amounts of anxiety based on the fact that something that I have obviously not shared with my audience, but I'll share now. Speaking of last week on Friday, I believe I mentioned in the past that I offered my ex-wife an increase in child support based on my increased salary, something that most child support fathers do not often offer, especially when there is no way of predicting how much money, um, or predicting, you know, when you're going to get an increase or, you know, whether or not your ex-wife knows that you got an increase. There are several circumstances that have to align in order for child support to be modified. But being the father that I am, um, I decided that it was important I was honest with my ex-wife. And as of May 1st, which would have been today, uh, I was supposed to write her out a, a check for child support that was probably about $300, $400 more than I'm used to, which absolutely was going to kill me. Um, I put this all in writing, actually, in an email, in a text, because that's how adamant I was about doing the right thing. And from a selfish standpoint, and I don't even know if any of you will re- regard this as being selfish, I am so tired of being taken advantage of in terms of her violating our agreement, whether it's driving the kids to me, the harassment, the unwillingness to part with my children during the holidays when I'm entitled to them every other year on a specific day. And I said, you know what, if I get my act together here and just be honest, at least I know I'm doing the right thing so when the time comes... Um, I won't feel so bad about calling the police when she does not show up with my children or, you know, go into court when she violates part of our agreement. So felt very, very good about that. Um, I was all set to send her a check. And guess what? The check is the exact same check that I've been sending for the last few years. And I'll tell you why. My ex-wife is so brutal and mean and clearly... She must have been flying around on her broomstick for weeks on end because what started out as harassing harassing texts, and ultimately, which I told you I had to block her, I believe I revealed that, and now we only have email communication, which, believe me, she found a way to email me as many insults as she possibly could. So that wasn't a situation in which it rectified the harassment. But nevertheless... She made, she, when, when my ex-wife does something, she makes sure that she hurts everybody involved. Now, she made sure that she kept my little guy, Mickey. She made sure that she kept uh, Junior and Sarah Lee away from his birthday party. They had absolutely nothing to do, and she refused to allow them over to the party because it was not my weekend, and she claimed that they had something to do. And of course, my kids secretly texted me and called and said they were doing nothing and they were so upset and blah, blah, blah. So they never made it to their younger brother's birthday party, which was really sad. And as she landed on her from her broomstick into her witch castle, she must have decided, well, you know what? This is a great opportunity for either A, to remind me about what I told her in terms of the added child support that I was going to give her, or just felt like ruining my weekend and disturbing my entire family as well as her own children. So as I'm driving with my two older children to my home on Friday, 
I have what's called the ring device. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that, it's a very simple device that is uh, like a doorbell. It sits in front of your house. If somebody rings it, if somebody mo any kind of motion that's in front of your house, it will alert you and let you know who's there, and you can see everything. So the alert goes off, and I never check it anymore because it's usually my, my wife going in and out. It's the mailman. I mean, especially during the day, and I don't know what prompted me to do so, but... I did so while I was driving, which is not safe at all because it was on my dashboard, but I had my daughter in the front seat, and I'm like, in a way, like, trying to brag, I guess, like, hey, kitties, look how cool this is. Not that they've never seen it before, but, oh, who's at our house now? And I turn it on. Lo and behold, my children witness two sheriffs walking up to my door. So we had no idea what was going on. You know, we hear them asking for me. Once we get back to the house, my wife is hysterical crying. She had dogs barking, uh, Barbie, little Barbie in her arms, um, Mickey screaming and crying, and two sheriffs looking for me. And ultimately, it was for a modification of child support. So she made sure, and I know that she did this, that she timed this in a way that everybody, not only in the neighborhood, but her own children, would see this happen. And I think it's despicable. I really do. And worst of all, little does she know that this witch is probably going to get less than what I had intended to give her. So whatever. June, I will be in family court. I never wanted to see the inside of that courthouse again. But she has decided to apply for a, um, a modification of the child support. <laughs> Funny enough, she wrote on it that she could no longer bear the expenses of education on her own. And she wants me to chip in. Meanwhile, I'm going to bring a stack of papers, probably a thousand of them, that show receipts in which, although I was not obligated to do so because it's part of child support, you know, and we're talking about field trips and, you know, textbooks and things like that. That's all included in child support. But my ex-wife would call me and let's say my son had a field trip. She would be like, he's not going because I can't afford it. He would call me crying. And ultimately, I would split the price with her. I ended up doing that a thousand times. Honestly, being yelled at by my wife many, many times because she hated seeing me be, um, you know, taken advantage of. But I went ahead and did it because I felt bad for my kids. And that's all that mattered to me. So it's just amazing that she's seeking that. Meanwhile, I've been paying it all along. So what's the difference? Um, I'll tell you what, though, I'm hoping that I can get away with not paying it because what I'm going to say is, yes, I have paid all these things, but I have not been able to afford them. And whether it's borrowing money from my parents or whatever it may be, the only reason why I moved ahead and did it is because she would threaten me, threaten me without being able to see my children and um, things of that nature. So, you know, ultimately she would bribe me into chipping in into something that essentially she was already getting paid for, which to me is just absolutely sickening. So that's the story, everybody. That's where we're at in Mr. Joe's life. So you can imagine that things have been a little hectic, to say the least. Um, and from a selfish standpoint, and I know this is going to sound weird, but, you know, a, hy a hypomanic standpoint, one of which, you know, Mr. Joe is on top of the world, I refuse to even go into my statistics of podcasting and look how many downloads I've had and how many listeners I might have lost because... I stopped podcasting because it breaks my heart. And 
again, from a selfish standpoint, I want to be the best out there. And I don't mean the best in comparison to another podcaster. I want to be the best in terms of what everyone that has bipolar disorder or is struggling with a mental health issue, the best possible source that you can go to in which not only do you enjoy my broadcast, but you get something from it. And I'm hoping we get something from today because somebody reached out on Twitter to me, a relatively new listener, and they had asked me a very interesting question, presented some information to me in in terms of um, the spouse of this person who wrote me is uh, they're currently dealing with a death or a near death. Let's put it that way. Or better said, somebody's dying in their family. And uh, it's an unfortunate thing. It's something that we all deal with, whether it be a pet or a family member, obviously. Uh, But their concern was, and the spouse has bipolar disorder. I believe it was a female. Um, Their concern is, well, what goes on? when you have bipolar disorder and you have to deal with a death in the family or an upcoming death or somebody might be sick enough where you know the end is near and, you know, what do we do to handle that? Well, I got to tell you, I don't know if I have the answer to that, to be honest with you. Um, Like, how do we avoid going through hell, ultimately? And whether we're bipolar or not, much of what we do happens to be the same in terms of how we handle it. The problem is, a lot of times where we are attempting to handle it, we are unsure as to whether or not we are actually grieving or it's bipolar. And as you all know, stress, things like that in life will actually activate our mood swings. So there is no better way to activate our mood swings than to have somebody that we love um, you know, unfortunately pass away or be in the midst of a sickness that will ultimately end in passing away. And in this particular situation, they were expecting a death. Now, um, I did look up what the grieving process is, and apparently there are stages, and that includes denial, anger, um, something called bargaining with yourself, obviously depression and acceptance. And... They're, they're, they're exactly what they say they are. I mean, everybody understands what they mean. Denial, you know. I don't even want to believe that it's happening. Um, you know, anger. Why did, and if you believe in God, many of us will say this, why would God do this to me? Um, bargaining with yourself. In the sense where, well, um, you know, if I could just go see this person one last time, or... Um, speak to them one last time, it'll make me feel better. I won't have to deal with the emotions so much, something like that along those lines. Depression, obviously, and I I don't want to refer to it as clinical depression, but more of a situational depression where people just get sad because you're losing somebody. And then ultimately we all eventually come to grips to some extent and we accept it. And that's easier said than done because I'll tell you right now, I know plenty of people that have had people in their lives that have no longer been with them for, let's say, 20 years. And to me, it seems like they still have not accepted it. So, in my opinion, that's one of the most difficult things to try and do, is accept it. But here's what I'll tell you, and this is based off of, generally, my experience with the latest death in my family, 
um, or the second latest, I apologize. My cousin uh, just passed away a couple of, um, I think about a month ago. He suffered from cancer. And no, I did not attend his wake or his funeral or anything like that. Um, and for very similar reasons as to the death before that, which was my grandmother. Now, in both situations, and, and people out there are saying, oh my God, he didn't attend his grandmother's funeral? Well, no, I didn't. And part of it was because I was at odds with my parents at the time, and I was concerned about what I would walk into. Was it going to be a screaming woman? Was it going to be somebody who insulted me? Um, at the time, you know, we were really on bad terms. And um, through another family member, she had actually threatened if I dared to show up, blah, blah, blah. You guys know all how it is. So ultimately, I did not show up, but I have to tell you... I could sit here and make as many excuses as I'd like, but when I knew my grandmother was dying, there was a feeling of mania that set in. And for those of you who are dealing with this, specifically the um, individual on Twitter that reached out to me, keep in mind that if you are preparing for, let's say, a funeral or death, there is undoubtedly going to be a stage as you near that funeral or get closer to that death in which your loved one, and not the person who's passed away, but your spouse, your partner, who has bipolar disorder, is probably going to go into mania. At least that's what happened to me. And, and people say, well, what the heck does that mean? You know, somebody's going to die. You're going to be depressed. Well, no. As a matter of fact, for me, you know, considering the fact that death obviously is stressful, whether you have bipolar or not, for me, an extensive manic mood would set in based on the approaching date of the funeral or the death. And really why it would happen is I, I thought about the following things. Going into public, you know, having to be at that funeral, having to comfort others, having to see people in my family, um... You know, that, that whole idea of watching, you, you, you know, your loved one die and waiting for that person to disappear, um, you know, depending on how close you are with this particular family member, getting things in order. And what I mean by that, you know, wills, last wills or, um, you know, organizing boxes or packing things up. I, you know, I recall my mother having to do that for somebody in my family. I don't know who exactly who it was. And all she did was moan and groan about how um, you know, annoyed she was that she had to do it. And she was a maniac. She was a maniac. She didn't show an ounce of sadness, nor did I when my grandmother died, especially right before, because all I did was struggle with the fact that I had to be somewhere where I didn't want to be. And in that particular situation, as the funeral approached... The mania set in, and that's what was activated for me. So it's actually very, very common for mania to set in when you are preparing for a death. So uh, first and foremost, my advice is to be prepared for that mania, because let's think about it. Who the hell wants to sleep when somebody you love, you know, somebody that's very close to you, is, is preparing for death? You know, a lot of times we refuse to even cry because... It's almost like, and for me, I have to be honest, when my grandmother passed away, it became a hindrance to me. I, I didn't want to cry because I was so manic about the situation. And um, 
you know, the, the reality just sets in and, um, I mean, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're seeing this happen, watching this happen in front of your face, obviously a mood is going to be triggered. And because that depression part is going to come in later, I promise you that the actual very first step that you have to watch for is that mania. So it's scary. It really is. So now moving on from that, you got to think about when the reality finally sets in for those of us with bipolar disorder. And, and by the way, you could probably associate this with um, people who do not have bipolar as well. You might want to eliminate some of the advice that I give you, but ultimately when that reality sets in and everything is done and you cleaned out the room and you've sorted all their belongings and you've filled out the will and you boxed all this, their crap up, um, you know, maybe you feel a sense of relief for the moment and then the very next second you could be crying. So please be aware that that is also normal. You know, after that funeral, when the reality actually sets in, it's like, again, one minute you're good and one minute you're bad. One minute minute you are feeling like, you know, you were able to fight this and beat it. And, you know, I'm going to miss them, but oh well, you know, it is what it is. And then all of a sudden you find yourself feeling alone, depressed, crying. And just so you know, again bipolar disorder or not, all of those things are completely normal. One of the biggest concerns that I have with those of us with bipolar disorder is that we tend to think when a death occurs that, or at least this, let's put it this way, we we tend to have difficulty separating whether it's a mood swing or it's the actual death. And I could almost promise you in 99% of the times, although obviously our moods are going to be affected and enhanced or, or, you know, a little bit more depressed based on the death, most of the time it is really just a natural response to the death. Unfortunately, for those of us with bipolar disorder, probably a little bit more exaggerated than those who do not have bipolar disorder. And obviously we have to monitor ourselves a little bit more. Um, But because we sometimes try to make that distinction between whether or not it's actual just sadness based on the reality of the situation, or are we going through a mood swing? Well, you have to keep this in mind. And this is a big piece of advice when it comes to bipolar disorder and death. Just because you feel a certain way over somebody that you love passing away, that doesn't mean that your meds are wrong and that a change has to be made with your medication dosages or your medication types. My advice would be to stick to whatever plan you are on and keep it, keep it going. Keep it going, really. Because the last thing you want to do is start playing around with your medications during a time in like what this, when this is happening. Um, now listen, it's very scary to think that a death might occur and then all of a sudden at the same exact time, uh, and as you know, we go through a lot of changes with bipolar disorder, that we actually have a legitimate mood swing that does require the alteration of our medications and treatments. 
Um, you know, the chances of that happening, I don't know. I don't know statistically, statistically what that could be. But that's frightening, you know, to think that here I am telling you, leave your treatment plan alone, but in the event that there is a death and you actually do need a change, well, that stinks, man. And there's really no way to determine that as far as I'm concerned. What I think you would want to do is try to get through as many grieving stages as possible and then reanalyze where you're at in terms of your mind and your moods. But ultimately, one thing to keep in mind is because there is a death and you feel the way that you feel, that does not mean that your meds need to be changed. Um, um, what else did I want to say? Advice. I mean, I don't have a whole lot, I have to be honest with you. I mean, obviously, support groups are great. Um, extra therapy is wonderful. Um, something that really works for me. And please don't, you know, don't uh, roll your eyes at me. It actually works, especially when you have a death in the family that's upcoming or one that has just passed with bipolar disorder. Keep a journal. Keep a journal of your feelings. Put it on paper. Allow it to come out on paper because I promise you, if you read it back, you're going to recognize that a lot of the things that you feel have really nothing to do with bipolar disorder. It just has to do with the grieving process. So if there was one suggestion that I could give you that I believe really helped me and I believe would help you is write down everything you feel. Write down everything you feel because, listen, there is absolutely no timeline for grieving. Nobody could tell you that. Nobody could tell you um, when to feel better, when to no longer be depressed about, you know, the um, the death of a loved one. No, no one could tell you any of those things. I mean, with me and my grandmother, I am so accustomed to just feeling down and up and down and up and making impulsive decisions that when the time came, I just didn't want to see anybody. I really didn't. Didn't want to see anybody at all. And do I regret it now? To some extent, I kind of wish I was there. I really do. But, you know, it is what it is. And I've accepted it. I've accepted it. And if you really look at all of this, you know, the ups and the downs and the, the stages and the denial and the mood changes and all of those things, whether it's bipolar or not. To me, man, it all sounds like one big bipolar episode of rapid cycling and mixed episodes, which really stinks. Really stinks. So, I mean, ultimately, the question is, how do we avoid that? I don't have an answer. I wish I did. I mean, I've been babbling here for 31 minutes about this topic and trying to address it to help um, a fellow... Um, listener on Twitter, but the truth of the matter is I don't really know how to address it other than the small little details of advice that I've offered to you, one being that journal writing is very important. But most importantly, understand that there is absolutely no timeline for it at all. Um, I don't know exactly you know, what your spouse with bipolar disorder or yourself with bipolar disorder might be feeling, obviously, at the current moment. But again, try to keep in mind that it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bipolar mood swing. These feelings are normal. And I think with me, one of the most disturbing things about my bipolar disorder is when I feel a certain way 
and I am able to recognize and I know that that's not the way I'm supposed to feel. That's not normal. No, it's not normal to want to hang yourself. It's not normal to want to drive off a bridge. It's not normal to want to buy six TVs. It's not normal to just start charging up your credit card over and over again. Those things are not normal. I thought they were normal until I was medicated, but those things are not normal. So when a death comes and we engage in some of those things, you know, and maybe it's something simple as to get our mind off. We say, we're going to treat ourselves. You know, we're going to go buy lunch, buy an extravagant dinner, whatever it might be. Or we feel down because our loved one died. Whatever it might be, those are very similar things that happen when we have mood swings to bipolar disorder. But the most important thing to recognize is that your feelings of despair and depression and denial and the mood swings are normal when it comes to death. And that, I think, is what is the most scariest of all because they're so similar when somebody dies as in comparison to when we have a mood swing that we automatically think our mood and our bipolar disorder and our mental health is at risk, which to some extent it is, depending on how we cope with things and the support system that we have, which is why that is so incredibly important and why I also recommend that if you do have a spouse or a loved one that has bipolar disorder and you're both dealing with a death and you see a lot going on with your spouse or partner in terms of their bipolar disorder, try to keep reminding them that what they're feeling is normal, that they're actually not crazy. They're not experiencing a wackadoo moment, that they're going through what anybody else would go through, whether or not they were diagnosed or not with bipolar disorder. So um, I guess the two things in terms of summarizing Um, my advice when it comes to the death of a loved one and how to deal with it. If you have bipolar disorder is obviously, again, to write that journal, write your feelings down, and at least try to convince yourself or get a proper support system that will allow you to understand that the grieving process that you are feeling is not a reflection of mania necessarily or depression that is associated with a clinical diagnosis of bipolar disorder. It's associated with the, the God's honest truth and the realization that death is difficult to deal with. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what mental health issue that we are dealing with. Listen, I know it, me as a person with bipolar disorder, and to some extent I'm ashamed to say this, but what would it be worth if I wasn't honest with everybody? When death occurs, I want no part of it. I do everything that I'm not supposed to do. I isolate myself. I remove myself from the situation. I've even gone as far as making up excuses as to why I can't attend a wake or a funeral. You know, I'm deathly sick. I have a virus. Whatever it might be, because I just don't know how to handle those emotions. So it's not abnormal for you to feel that way. It's not at all. Which is why it's so important that you have a loved one, somebody that can support you, and help you to understand that these feelings are all normal. And had I known that these feelings were not reflective of me going through a major episode, maybe I would have just sucked it up and went because I would have realized that, holy crap, Mr. Joe, everybody in this room feels just like you do. It's not your bipolar disorder. You're not actually suffering 
from bipolar right now. You're suffering from the realization and the reality that somebody has passed away. But again, unfortunately, a lot of times we isolate ourselves from things like that. I know Mr. Joe has. So, um, you know, I will take my own advice. Hopefully nobody passes away anytime soon uh, that where I, as I have to deal with this. Um, but I will, I will continue to do what I've suggested to do, especially in terms of writing that journal. Because for me, again, what it did was it gave me an opportunity right before a specific funeral, in which, again, I didn't attend. But it gave me a, an opportunity to look back on my writing and to understand that what I was feeling was all real life, situational, depression, and reactionary moods to something that, you know, many of us in our lifetime have to deal with and don't enjoy. It's as simple as that. Now, I feel, lately I feel like, and I've spoken about this before, and, you know, it's quite the opposite of death, but life to me, and what I mean by that, life, the growing up of my children, them being babies once before, no longer needing me like they once did, watching my little Mickey guy grow up and talk like in a way where I've never in my life seen a, a child so smart and just to know that him cuddling with me this morning, wrapped in my arms, drinking his milk in his little sippy cup and snuggling with me, that's going to be gone one day. I've talked about this a million times. And that to me, I don't know, to me that makes me feel bipolar. <laughs> when I'm looking through a bunch of pictures and I start crying when I see, you know, Sarah Lee when she was a baby. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. I can't explain why. I don't know why. I mean, again, maybe it's the past in terms of them being so young and innocent. Maybe, maybe it's my guilt in terms of them growing up and not being able to be the man that I know I am now. Although I know I was a good father. I know it wasn't good that I never got myself out of my marriage sooner. I know that sounds crazy, but that's ultimately what it was. I mean, I, I and many of us make this mistake, and I know I'm a little off topic here, but so many times we stay for the benefit of our children, and I am a living proof, living flesh, that that does not work. Because had I have left sooner when I knew things just weren't working, I would have spared my children the horrifying events of them having to run in a bedroom with their little animals and gerbils and the dog and locking the door and shaking and crying and trying to protect all their little animals and their toys and because daddy just broke another door because his ex-witch tortured him for the day in combination with the fact that I wasn't properly medicated and doing drugs. So, there you go. All right, now, again, what is it? I don't know. All I know is when I look at those pictures, when I even think of those pictures, um, you know, it makes me want to cry. And to some extent, I have not accepted it. Because i got to tell you right now, I refuse to look at them. It only happens when it's just one of those things pop up on my phone, you know, oh, take a look at Rediscover the Day on Google Photos. And I've tried to block all those notifications, but once in a while they slip through. Um, but otherwise, I avoid it, which to me indicates that I haven't accepted the fact yet that my children are grown. Um, but I've accepted the fact that I have bipolar disorder. And 
most importantly, what I what I recommend on top of everything that I have, if you have a death in the family, continue your treatment. Don't go off kilter. Um, really, honestly, you know, wait it out because you know the the feelings will be very similar to somebody who is going through a, a very um, specific mood swing in which we need to address it and see our psychiatrist to get a different medication. It's not always the case. As a matter of fact, like I said before, 99% of the time it's not the case at all. So rather than making things worse and potentially even numbing ourselves to a situation, leave your meds alone. You could certainly increase your treatment in terms of your therapy, go to a support group, like I said, but leave that medication alone and the overall treatment plan alone because once you learn to accept it and the grieving is over, and believe me, Understand this. Most importantly, there is no timeline for grieving. Nobody can tell you when to stop feeling a certain way over a death. So, no timeline in grieving, guys, okay? Um, That will take time, but I promise you, at some point, at some point, you will get over it. And I don't mean that you're going to forget that person at all, but you will be able to accept it. And that is the most important part. Ultimately, there will come a time, no matter how depressed, no matter how many crying bouts you've had, no matter how much anger you've had towards a specific religious belief or a person or even possibly yourself, uh, whatever feeling that you're feeling that does not seem natural during a death, please believe me when I tell you that once the grieving process is over, it will end and your life will ultimately go back to normal and you will learn to accept it. Guys, man, I missed you. We got to get back into this. Um, I'll be back as, as I'm hoping by Friday. Uh, for those of you who right now are dealing with a mental illness, please continue to work hard if you're doing well. For those of you who love or care about somebody that are suffering from a mental illness right now, please support that person in the best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness, please continue to fight, continue to battle, and most importantly, soldier on. I have missed you guys like crazy, but I am back. Mr. Joe is back, and I am so happy to be back in your lives. Everybody have a great day, and I'll talk to you in a few days. Thanks for listening.